So again, today we are and we'll be starting part three of our study in the Gospel of John. And so um, the, the Gospel of John is this book that is this powerful testimony to the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. It was written by John who um, was one of, uh, we could even say scripturally, Jesus' closest disciple. Um, this book is unique among the four Gospels. It focuses less on Jesus' miracles, although they're present, and more on his teachings, and it emphasizes um, who Jesus is, his identity as the Son of God and the Word of God, or the Logos. Um, and so we see the author John intentionally wrote this Gospel with the purpose of inspiring true belief, not fake belief, but true belief in Jesus as the Savior of the world. So John states the, 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 his, his book, this Gospel's, main message in John 20, 30 through 31, saying, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I always kind of wonder, oh man, what else did he do that would kind of blow our mind? But these things, these are written, the, the gospel of John is written so that you may believe, not half believe, not fake believe, but that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his, in his name. And so you may be like, yeah, I get it. Belief, belief, belief. I'm over that. Like, I believe God. Hebrew says that we should believe that God exists. And that seems like, well, oh, duh, 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 right? But if you actually believe God exists, like if you actually believe that every day, not just say it, but believe it in your heart, that's what God is asking us to do. In that same passage in Hebrews, it says, if you believe that, that God, that he will reward those that seek him. You see, he's not saying you're going to be rich or, or, or famous or have everything you want, but God will take care of his own. A lot of people live in chaos because they don't believe God exists, not just in, theoretically, but like every moment of every day. When you have a cold, this is weird. I ate a vitamin thing last, like last night thinking I was good, and man, that thing tore me up. I actually ended up vomiting and throwing up, and I was like, in those moments, <laughs> I was like, really? Right before church? <laughs> like in those moments when you just are, when stuff like that is happening, like do you believe God exists? That he could take, he actually healed me. He took that, that, that thing went away, and I was fine. But for a few moments, I was struggling. I tried a new vitamin out. Don't try those vitamins. <laughs> Um, anyways, I was like, it'll be fine. It wasn't. So as we study this gospel, we're going to encounter this profound truth of who Jesus actually is and what he came to accomplish. And we will be challenged to place our faith or our belief, same word in the original language, completely in him. John, again, this author, he was, he was one of the 12 apostles, and he was a close companion of Jesus. He was also known as, the, and he, he wrote this himself, in his gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so he, he was this eyewitness to the life and teachings of Jesus. He wrote this gospel with the intention of sharing the truth about Jesus. John was the one right before Mary died. Jesus entrusted his, his mom into John. Maybe his brothers were too young. We don't know all the, uh, what happened there. But Jesus entrusted um, his mother with John. So, the, so John and Jesus were super close. We see that was probably his closest uh, one of his closest friends. We're going to learn about another of Jesus' friends today. Um, but uh, then he had the 12. Then he had three, Peter, James, and John. Maybe you've heard those together. So John, Peter, James, and John, and the 12. There, so we even see that in Jesus' ministry, he had people that he was a little tighter with. And so, and, and John wants to let us know. He said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
So through John's testimony, we see this, this, uh, this powerful testimony, testimony to the power of Jesus and his teachings. And, and, and this invites us to actually believe him and to actually receive this gift of eternal life, which the Bible says is Jesus. So uh, last time we were in John, it's been a while, um, we were in John 11 with the story of Lazarus. And so this is the story of one of Jesus' closest friends. And the sisters were his friends too. In this story, we see a few characters who we see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were all siblings, and we see Jesus. And it says that Jesus loved them, all of them, the women and Lazarus. Like these were his friends. And so Mary and Martha, um, the story of Lazarus, I'm going to summarize it, were frustrated and mad at Jesus because they wanted him to save their brother Lazarus on time. But at Lazarus got sick and he died and they were like, come on, Jesus, like we know what you can do. And Jesus said, the text says that Jesus came two days later. He knew Lazarus died. He came two days later and he was making a point about the power of resurrection over death. You see, the text says again that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. You're like, but, but if you loved him, then why didn't you save him two days before? The text says, in the shortest verse in the Bible, so you want to memorize some scripture today, okay, you guys can do it. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, okay? You want to memorize scripture? Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. 35. It says Jesus cried. He wept over Lazarus' death. As he had this human emotion, I believe, of death, and he loved his friend like, like any human really would. But even more than just that kind of love, Jesus wept because he knew Lazarus' resurrection was a foretaste of his own death and resurrection. Remember, Jesus had not died yet in the text. So Jesus had, again, he had to allow this brother, his friend Lazarus, he had to allow him to die. In all, we're like, no, no, Jesus, just save him. I don't want to go through the pain. That's fine. God uses pain. A lot of times we, we don't want the pain. The Bible talks about Christians will suffer, that we'll, we'll go through pain. But the pain has a purpose, and it did here too. That Lazarus' death had to happen to teach Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all those who witnessed it, witnessed it about Jesus' and God's glory, that they were actually, that we had this triune God through the power of the Spirit. Remember we learned about the glory of God last week? If not, it's online. You can go look at, actually, it didn't stream. No. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, but the, the point is that God is, is, is showing us his glory. Jesus says in John eleven four, 4, speaking of Lazarus' death. So this is out of our text today, but right before. Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Death, resurrection, bring glory. Lazarus' death brings glory. Again, as we learned last week, God is in the business of revealing his glory. God is in the business of revealing his glory, meaning he's revealing how awesome and how powerful he is and how he is the best of everything and anyone that has ever existed. Another way of saying it is God's glory means everything of who he really is. God's glory is God displaying or showing to us who he really is. That's what he does in the death of Lazarus. God's glory is God's revelation or him revealing of himself, a, a revelation of God's honor or being the most honorable or the best of everything and anything that ever was. When's the last time you thought of God that way? 
Or do you think of him as more like Mr. Aladdin, sir, right? Like the genie, like, come on, God, I need some stuff. You're, blue, you, you're not blue genie, but I kind of treat you that way, like I just want stuff. I just need stuff from you, God. Instead of being like, no, God is glorious. You deserve nothing from a holy God. I deserve nothing from a holy God. And he wants us to actually understand that, to feel that. He wants us to understand and live out this ultimate mission as we looked at again the last few weeks, as we see this glory so then we can truly love him and love people and actually make disciples of all nations. That's why for God's glory, right? Because if you do those things, you think you're loving God, you think you're loving people, you think you're making disciples, and, and you think you're, you're loving all kinds of people, and you're actually, if you're not glorifying God and you're doing it, you're doing it wrong. The love of God is tied to God's glory. That's why we teach it that way here at Redeemer. That leads us to this idea of true belief, of actual belief and false belief. The idea of belief comes from God. It doesn't even come from you. It comes from God, and God allows us again to understand and live out that ultimate mission that as we see his glory, his awesome glory, that we can truly love him and then truly love people, then we will make disciples. That's what he told us to do of all kinds of people, all nations, and then we'll actually be glorifying God. You see, this belief is rooted in believing the true gospel story and not a false story. You see, our tendency as sinful humans in our flesh, okay, is hearing the lies of the world because of our weak flesh and wanting things that we want and then hearing those lies and being like, yeah, yeah, they're right, they're right. Jesus isn't that or God isn't that or that thing will satisfy more or I need that thing. And then hearing the lies of Satan who comes to seek, kill, and destroy marriages, families, singles, hearing your three enemies, your own flesh, the world and Satan and the, and, the, and the spiritual world out there that's real, they want you to believe this, these false gospels or these false stories, these false narratives. Again, think about this. The, the word gospel in the original Greek meant an announcement that a king was coming, that the Caesar was coming. So it's like, bar, 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 here comes, hail King Caesar. I don't know if they talk like that in Italian or Latin, right? The king was coming. The Caesar was coming. It's like, wake up, pay attention. It was a royal announcement where the people in that area were to perk up and pay attention and be like, oh, the king is coming. Hey, 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 the king's coming. They were supposed to honor honor or give glory to this Caesar, to this king. So this word gospel, just in a simple, uh, uh, like just what it means grammatically or what it means, is just a royal announcement. And it's then that the Bible then uses this, this meaning of royal announcement to show us who Jesus is, that he is announcing, he's revealing his glory, that he's bringing his kingdom here to us, to earth. You see, if we miss the royal announcement, if we miss the royal announcement, we will miss the kingdom of Jesus. You will fall for the lies of your three enemies, your own flesh. You're going to believe yourself. You're going, to, you're going to believe the lies of the world, meaning the people and their messages that are not of God. And you're going to believe the lies um, of, of, of Satan and his demons that are in the spiritual world. You know it's a spiritual battle? It's not just flesh and blood, right? I'm sick. I'm tired. I'm this. There's a lot more going on. 
that we just can't see. But that's why we should, if you're a child of God, you have the spirit of God to make you aware. A lot of us live, are living in chaos. We're struggling with sin. We're doing certain things because we're not aware that we're in a spiritual battle, like an actual fight. I was reading in Daniel this morning, and it was, it was talking about Michael and the, and the prince of, of Greece. So if you talk to Satanists and stuff, they'll talk about uh, demons and, and having uh, control over certain regions, like physical geography. I don't know how that, if it works that way, but that is actually something you see in Scripture in Daniel. The, the, the prince of Greek, like this evil spirit over Greece. It, it, it talks about Michael was the one, this archangel who was fighting against these spirits. That's how, that's what's going on around us. And I'm not saying we have all the answers on what that exactly looks like. But the Bible does allude to that, that there are principalities. Look at Paul in Romans. That's, that's the Old Testament. Paul says that we're in a spiritual battle, Ephesians 6. Your, your, your flesh and struggle is not against flesh, but it's against the spiritual principalities. He's even saying, like, man, I don't even know what's all going on. There, but there is an order. There's Satan, and Satan has an order. He's more organized than you. He's more disciplined than you. He's coming at you. He's trying to destroy you. He doesn't care. You know, if you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God will protect you. But if you start not walking with the Spirit of God, even, even as a Christian, if you're like, God, I don't need you right now, um, I'm good. That's, why, that's where things happen. Attacks happen. Chaos comes in your life. And you're, you're living like this, God's children. Chaos will come, but we stay steady because we're children of God. Not because of ourselves, because God is with us. You, it, being a child of God is like being a boxer, Okay. A boxer is not like, oh, my gosh, I have to go box, and they get all nervous, and their hands are like this. No, they know how to stand. They know how to box. They know how to don't jab, jab, boom. They know how to, and they know they're going to get hit. They know a boxer doesn't just cry when he gets hit, do they? Oh, my gosh, I'm going to go sit down. No, a boxer is like, they might get rocked. They might even fall. But they know that they're in a fight. They know how to box. Why? Because if you are a child of God, you know how to box. Or God is teaching you how to box. So you need to practice boxing. You don't just go into and fight Mike Tyson. There's always this famous saying, everybody, everybody thinks they have a plan until they get knocked out. That came from, like, Mr. Mike Tyson because he would knock you out. He was 5'10". He wasn't a very big guy fighting guys that are 6'6", but he was a beast, and he, and he would just knock you out. So, so I would say that's the kind of battle you're in. You're actually in a spiritual battle where you need to be fighting, and if you're not fighting, you're going to crash and burn. You're going to miss the royal announcement of Jesus. We're in a spiritual battle. And so I want us to look now at John eleven forty five forty eight, 48. And we're going to learn this main point today, okay? I want us to see true belief and what true belief does. And we're going to look at the idea of resurrection. So read with, open with me, John eleven forty five through 48. And we're going to see our main point today, that resurrection causes unbelief and evil acts, huh? Or... Belief and service to Jesus as children of God. Let's read John eleven forty five through forty eight. Well, this will be our. We're kind of have a longer text, so we'll kind of look at this and then we'll get get into the rest of the text. John eleven forty five. Your subtitle may say the plot to kill Jesus. It's like this plan. Okay, so it starts. Many of the Jews, therefore, Lazarus had just raised from the dead. Jesus weeps. He, you know, this story just happened, but it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he, Jesus, did, and, and said they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. 
and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our, our nation. Again, today in our main point from John eleven forty five through twelve eleven, it will teach us that resurrection causes unbelief and evil acts or belief and service to Jesus as children of God. So let's look at our first point. Again, that resurrection actually causes unbelief. Read with me in John eleven forty five. 45. It says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did. We're going to see this is in the second half. They believed in him, right? But, this is where we get our first point. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. That, a but was there to be uh, contrary, right? Some people believed and some were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to slow this guy down. He's dangerous. So some people witnessed a miracle of Jesus. They saw him do, but they still wanted to tell on Jesus and trap him. The text continues. Remember, this is perfect Jesus. So if you don't think people are going to come after you, they will. The text continues in verse 47. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs, meaning many miracles. And they're like, if we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. You see that unbelief? They want unbelief. They don't want belief. And the Romans, remember the, the, the kingdom they were in? And this, that's why we talked about Caesar and this gospel announcement. Caesar was the king. So it said, the Romans will come because the Jews lived under Roman control. Okay? It's kind of like my country, Puerto Rico. We're kind of our own thing, but we're under the U.S. Okay? And so it's like, man, they're going to come and take away um, our nation, our culture. So they were worried about material things, and they were worried about their kingdom and not God's. Does that not sound like us <laughs> most of the time? But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Now, Caiaphas is not a good dude. We'll talk about that in a second. But he says, he says, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, meaning the Jews, not that the whole nation should perish. And he did not say this of his own accord. God uses evil people to speak sometime. But even being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, meaning the Jews, and not only for the nation, or not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Scattered abroad. Okay, so this other, he talks about the nation of Israel. He's also talking, there's a, there's a theme to the whole Bible. We talked about it a few weeks ago. This text means other nations or those who become the true or spiritual Israel we see in the Bible. You see, God is in the business of revealing his glory to his children, but many are not his children. And just like God used Caiaphas, the high priest, who was part of the plot to kill Jesus, we see later on in the Gospels, to speak this prophecy. He uses a guy who, who's technically evil. God can use these evil acts of men to show his glory. Sometimes we struggle with that. Like, God, why does this happen? God, why does that happen? God, I'm smarter than you. I get it. It's not easy. Wars happen. People die. Just people die and unjust people get rich. Evil people do their thing. And the Bible talks about that. God's not dumb. He knows that. He allows those things to happen. Why? So you can and I can see his glory. That we, we sometimes want to worship those things over God. But God, why? But God, why? But God, why? And God's like, you just don't get it. I put you on earth to stop looking down and to look up, to see me, to see that I'm actually over all the stuff that worries you. God's like, it doesn't worry me. 
I've got it under control. And that's the purpose of life is for you to look up and see, oh, he's actually got it under control. That's what his sovereignty means. That's what it means that he's the king. That's why he gets a royal announcement. Wake up. The king is here. Who's stronger than Caesar and stronger than any president or any political system or any country or any philosophy that we can think of. And it is humbling that that God uses the evil acts of men to show his glory and the truth about the resurrection. He does that because even in unbelief and even in the evil acts, God is still at work. And so we see our second point today, that resurrection, we've seen that it actually causes evil acts. God came and he did something that, that messes with people. Again, God, this means that God uses evil for good. Go read the story of Joseph in Genesis at the very end. The Bible says, what you did for evil, God did for good. That's the whole point of Genesis. What the brothers of Joseph selling him into slavery and, and, and trying to do evil to his brother, he becomes this leader. And God said, see, what you guys did for evil, I was doing for good. That's why God is bigger than us. He's better than us. He's smarter than us. This theme is all over the Old and New Testament. In our text, the point is made that, that Lazarus' resurrection would actually cause division and it actually would cause evil acts. Cause, okay? That, that's a, there's a, there's a, 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 like this a simple word. There, there's a cause and effect, right? So that's what happens. So Jesus' resurrection, again, which actually was a murderous act in itself, was the resurrection a good thing? No, it was like, you're evil, and Jesus, it was unjust, and, and God put him on a cross. It like, hey, go to electric chair, or go get the guillotine, get your head chopped off. Why would you do that, God? God knows what he's doing. He uses the evil of man. It was, it was a murderous act, the, 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 the crucifixion of Christ the, the, for, for, from the Jews and the Romans. God used murder to show us his glory. These evil acts point to the spiritual battle that that is manifested on earth. We forget Satan wants his kingdom to rule. The Bible, listen to this, calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? The spiritual battle that's going on. The Bible in John 12, a little bit after this, calls him the ruler of the world. What? Satan is called the ruler of the world, like the king of the world, some translations would say. Huh. Go look at it, John 12, 31. Look, Ephesians 2, 2. He's also called, uh, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world or age. Dang, man. God's given him a role. God's given him something to do, right? For a reason. God allows Satan to do evil acts and for evil to, to, to run for a season. Why? If there's no evil and there's no sin, we don't see God because we are human. We think we're God. We think we're smarter or better than God. So God has to show us because remember the garden? It's this knowledge of good and evil. That's what Adam and Eve wanted. And God said, okay, because it's part of the plan. He says, you have to see evil and good to know who God is. But we as humans rationalize it. We're like, no, but God, no, but we think we're actually more just than God. No, we're not. We're not. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. So as we see Satan and his demons, 
This unseen army are always scheming and making plans with humans in the physical world to deter God's plans. It leads to these evil acts. Look at John 11, 53 through 57 with me to see one of these plans. The text says in verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him, Jesus, to death. Those are human plans and those are satanic plans. And so Jesus, knowing it, it was not his time, had to stay away from these people. Verse 54 continues. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all, this Passover? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Again, they were using this festival, the Passover, to trap and kill Jesus. Now the Passover was a time when the Jewish or Hebrew people uh, remember that they were slaves in Egypt. It's a festival, again, where they remember that God spared their life, uh, spared the life of the oldest son of, of their people, the Jewish people. As this messenger of death came, we see in Exodus, as the book of um, even Hebrews calls him, the destroyer of the firstborn came to take the lives of the firstborn sons of Israel. So if they did not have this sacrifice a lamb and put blood on their doorposts, their oldest son would die. And that's what the Jews were remembering. Jesus came and, and saving their, um, it's a picture of Jesus in Exodus. The Passover feast is still celebrated by the Jews today as they were delivered. And, and in Spanish, we say Pascua. Pascua means Passover or actually Easter. Hello means, um, it, it, it's, this, it's going back to this Passover story, okay? So they were delivered or saved. You know what Jesus' name means? Joshua, Yeshua, delivered, rescued, saved. It's what Jesus' name means, Redeemer. And so we see that they were saved from this death. But because Jesus says in John, I am the door. We learned about that a, few, a while back. But in John 10, 9, 11, he says, I am the door, the Passover door in a sense. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. It's like you'll find good, green, awesome land. The thief, remember this theme in the Bible, spiritual attack. The thief comes, that's Satan in the spiritual world, comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I came that... They may have life and have it abundantly. God wants you to have life. Not just be like, oh, I'm a Christian. Life, I can't do that. I can't do that. Oh, life is not fun. I got to go to church. I got to serve. No, that's how Satan wants you to think. God says, I get to wake up and see the people of God every morning, every Sunday. God says, I get to go live life with them. I get to love people and, 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 and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. That I get to do that. And you are in a battle. You think that's going to go away? No, God and it wants you to believe that. And he's allowed Satan to be free, this God of this world, to fight every day. It's a fight. It's like, God, why did you make? I don't want to fight. That's the purpose. You're a boxer. Paul says, don't beat the air aimlessly. Learn how to box. You know, your whole life is, is that you would learn how to box, that you would learn how to be a true Christian, one who actually loves God, who lives sacrificially for God who isn't all about your bank account and what you're going to do next week and, and, and where you're going to be in the future. God is not worried. Now, now those things are fine. You, I, I, want, I want you to know that God wants to be disciplined and he wants you to save your money. He wants you to do all those things, okay? But those things cannot be your God. 
They cannot be your Caesar. They cannot be your royal announcement. That's not what you say. That's your gospel. If that's your gospel, you've fallen for a false gospel. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb who allows eternal death to pass over us as he is our sacrifice for all the horrendous evil sin that the Bible says that we have done, that Jesus took on himself and became that sin for us as our Passover lamb so we could become the righteous ones of God, the Bible says. If you're a child of God, you're righteous. That we can actually live abundant. That means full, like exciting, awesome lives. That's how God wants you to live. He wants you to enjoy your marriage. He wants you to enjoy your kids. He wants you to enjoy your church. He wants you to enjoy your job. He wants you to do those things. And not that everything's going to be like fake happy, you know, but in things that stink and are not good, you can have joy. It's on you. The Spirit of God has given you the opportunity to be someone who has a full, abundant life and is not in the doldrums, meaning the sadness of life all the time. Sadness comes. There's a season for that. Bible says there's a time for this, there's a time for that, yes. But, but if you look at a whole Christian's life, you'll see dropping points and hard times, yes. But what you will see, at the, the tenor or the middle part of a Christian's life is like, man, that, that dude or that gal, they had joy. They had no money. They got cancer. Their spouse left them. Their kids turned away. All this junk happened. And they had Joy, not in themselves, not in their plan, but in Jesus and his true gospel. So we see that the first point, again, states um, uh, that, that some will see the resurrection. Many people will see the resurrection, and it will actually cause unbelief. And as our second point shows, that this unbelief actually will cause, the resurrection will cause evil acts. That's heavy. That's weird. It feels weird, but that's the Bible shows us. And now let's look at our third point today. In John 12, 1 through 8, it seems interesting that the story kind of takes a twist. And we're going to see that resurrection causes belief. And so this story in John 12, 1 through 8, it happens before the plan to kill Jesus and is like a recap or a flashback to remind us to readers that Jesus um, actually raised Lazarus from the dead and he's truly the Messiah who should be believed and worshipped. So read with me here. We see um, that Mary anoints Jesus now in Bethany, in, in the city where they were, uh, Lazarus and his sisters were from. John uh, 12, verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed, this means acknowledge Jesus as Messiah. She, she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember back in the day, feet were nasty just like they are today, but extra nasty because they didn't have shoes like we do. So feet smelled bad and it was kind of weird to, uh, you come in someone's house, you'd need to wash your feet because they smelled funky, okay? So that's what's happening here. And it says the feet, she she uh, anointed the feet of Jesus. I mean, she put oil and was like worshiping him and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But, listen this but, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was one of Jesus' disciples. The text says, um, who, who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for, for 300 denarii? Now, there's some different debates, but that was about a year's wage for them. So think of us, maybe 50 to 100K, something like that, okay? Depending on how much money you make. 
maybe 30, I don't know. But it was a lot of money, okay? 30 to 100K is a lot of money for some perfume stuff, okay? He said, why, why did we, man, all that money, we could have given it to the poor. You ever been that? Why, church, why are you doing that? Why are you wasting money on a building? Why are you doing this thing? Why are you doing that thing? Look at what the text says. Verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor. Judas didn't care about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to put what was put into it. Judas was a thief. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She was looking for his burial. For, for the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. So the story happens to show true belief and unbelief. Mary shows true worship and love and ultimately true belief in Jesus. And then juxtaposed or put against um, her, we see Judas. We see his true heart. A cold, selfish, money-loving, and stealing heart. Sounds like a country song or something, right? Cold, money-loving, stealing. That's Judas. He was this, this cold, selfish, money-loving, stealing. And he was just using Jesus. Many people do this in the church. Using Jesus for his own gain and for his own glory. Man, may, may that never be us. And then Jesus calls Judas out saying a big truth that the poor will always exist, but that he won't always be on earth. So a lot of people are like, well, what about this? You don't care about this? Jesus, I'm not the, we obviously care for the poor, okay? That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, don't make the poor an idol. He makes a point that he's greater than the poor. He's greater than the things that we think are better than him. That's what he's saying. All our ideas, all our rationalizations that just try to make us seem smarter or more just than God. You heard those people like that? Maybe you've had some of those thoughts. You see, G Judas was trying to use a good act like giving to the poor or saving money for a better use. Those are good things. But Judas was doing it for evil because of his heart. God knows our hearts. Judas was trying to rationalize and justify his actions in religious terms to actually justify his love for money. While on the other hand, Mary, Mary was using the super expensive ointment or perfume, and she was using it to bless, meaning to worship and anoint or, or acknowledge Jesus as the rightful Messiah. Mary just responds in worship. She's not responding in practicality. Again, Mary seems wasteful here. She, if you're thinking like Judas, and even just like, oh, why are you using all this? Use like a little bit of it. Don't use the whole thing, Mary. That's probably what I would have said. Like, hey, Mary, use like half, you know, don't be too holy. But she doesn't care. She doesn't care about material things. She gives it all away. Now, again, there are times to not be wasteful, of course. There are times to help the poor, of course. You see, God is, not, God is always looking at people's hearts. He doesn't want us lying to ourselves and to him like Judas was. That's, that's the point. You see, this section allows us to see our third point, that resurrection causes belief, the belief that Mary had. And the text leads us also to see our fourth point today, that resurrection of Jesus, it actually causes service to God as children of God. If you are a child of God, you will respond like Mary. But how many times do we honestly, our, our little Judases, right? Judas was human, just like we were. But we can respond like Mary. That's what it means to be a child of God. Again, our fourth point today is that, that the resurrection of Jesus causes service to God as children of God. 
Again, verse 9 and 11 here shows us all of our points today, but helps us see the last point from 12, um, 1 through 8. So let's read as we see this now plot to kill Lazarus. It says in John 12, 9 through 11, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. They didn't want the story of Jesus getting out. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So if you remember the beginning of our text, if you look at 11, in chapter 11, um, verse 52, it says, And not, remember this Caiaphas, they were trying to come up with a plan. It says, And not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God. That Jesus came to gather from all nations the children of God. And he wants you to actually leave here today at living as a child of God. Not like, I think I'm a child, or like, I think I'm a boxer, but uh, no, a boxer knows you're going to take hits, but you got, you learn how to defend, and then you learn how to hit, and like, that didn't hurt that bad. Boom, boom, you learn how to take a hit, you take hits to the face, and then you learn how to give hits too. You see, today, we remember the story of Lazarus' resurrection, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, which points to his own resurrection. And we learn today from John eleven forty five through 12, 11, that resurrection causes unbelief and evil acts in some people's lives. Or if you're a child of God, belief and service, we're supposed to do something about it. Service to Jesus and to our triune God as children of God. So where are you in this today? Has the resurrection of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus caused this unbelief or evil acts in your life? or actual belief and service to Jesus as children of God. You see, for the, for the children of God, the resurrection of Jesus causes this true service. Like, I want to serve God. I want to give my life. I don't care what people say. It causes this service or devotion to God as, as children of God. Like, you're children of God. John says a lot, little children. It's like, we have a better word in Spanish, like misijitos. It's like one word. Like little, little children just doesn't sound great in English. But it's like, man, ones that I love so much. My babies. I think that's a better translation. My babies. You are God's babies. And then there's those who are not children of God, where the resurrection will cause them to actually not believe God and to act in evil ways. Now, you may be like, but aren't we all sinners? Haven't we all done that? That's kind of the point. We've all been Judases. We've all acted this way. And, with, and yes, without the resurrection of Jesus, our Passover lamb, we actually have no hope. But if his resurrection is real, guys, if his resurrection is real, we don't have to act like Judas anymore. If God's actually changed our hearts, we don't have to be many Judases. We can be like Martha. We can be who we are, our identity as children of God. And you can box. And you can say, hey, I'm not Mike Tyson, but you know, I know how to box a little bit. You know, I know how to get in there. Not cocky, but confident in God. The, the church is teaching that you have trainers that are teaching you, hey, slapping you in the face, putting the towel on you, making you sweat, making you learn. Like you, you, you know how to move your feet. You know how to get in there. You know how to fight. Maybe, women, that analogy isn't your favorite. It's one the Bible uses. There's woman boxers too, right? Muhammad Ali's daughter was good for a season. But that's the example the Bible gives. Or to be a good soldier, a good soldier isn't worried about 
the things of the world. He's like, man, I got to do my duty. I'm going to serve. And so we don't have to act like little Judases anymore, but rather God saves us to be free. We're going to sing about this in a bit, to be free as children of God, to not be enslaved to truly believe and act and worship and believe like Mary as we can then truly acknowledge who God is and we can actually glorify him with our lives. You see, Jesus' resurrection, again, will lead many people to unbelief and evil acts. And this is the part of humanity. This is our story that from the beginning, we we talked about already, but God created, made everything good, and there was this, this Adam and Eve. Adam means man. He was the first man. And Eve, his wife, they wanted to know the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be like God, and God, the Bible says, if, God says if we do this, they will be like us. So you know how you are like God? You know evil. You, you know evil. You're confronted with evil. And if you are a child of God, you should hate evil, and it should bother you. But that's what Adam and Eve, they thought they were smarter than God. Yeah, I, I, want, I want some evil. I want some evil. Yeah, I can handle it. I, no, you can't. They just got it's knocked out. That's what happens to all of us. We can't deal with evil. We needed the perfect one. This, this God man, this, his name is Adam. He's the last Adam. He's the perfect man, Jesus. And he came, and, and the Bible says he became sin. He who knew no sin, Jesus was perfect. He was a perfect kid. He was a perfect young man. Man, I can't even imagine that. No lust, no sin. He would not fall for pornography or for sexual sin. Jesus, he was perfect. And look, what, look how they treat him. Look how humanity treats him. He's the only one, the only one that could conquer death. And he did. We talked about it. That just like Lazarus' resurrection, Jesus resurrected. He ascended and he said, I'm coming back for my babies. He says, don't worry. One day there will be no more tear, no more pain, no more suffering. Jesus is coming back. And he wants us to know his story. He wants us to believe, to repent and believe. The Bible talks about these words in unison. They're two sides of the same coin, that you would turn away from sin, turn away from Satan's kingdom, and then turn to the kingdom of God. That's what repentance means in the original language. To have a changing of the mind as well is what repentance means. And then that will make you serve God. The resurrection will allow you to serve God and know your identity as his child. So start living as a child of God. You see, the kingdom of God starts, starts on earth when Jesus came. And then because of his resurrection, some of us, not every human, but those who God has chosen as his children, we get the glorious right to be called children of God. And these children of God see the resurrection with now gospel goggles where we can know that the resurrection of Jesus will cause you to actually live for God and serve him and know your identity as a child because if God has changed you, then you are a true child of God. And so God is always looking at our hearts, friends, family, brothers, and sisters here today. So where is your heart? Do you have a Judas heart? Do you have a heart like Mary? Do you truly believe in the resurrection today like Mary did where you would give up something so costly And so expensive to actually just worship and anoint or acknowledge Jesus. And then not just that you would give up your money or have the idea like, yeah, you know, give up your dreams or your hope. You know, not that that you would think that way, that you're actually doing it now. Many people are like, oh, yeah, I'll do anything for Jesus. Oh, yeah. uh uh But are you doing it now? Like, are are you living for, are you giving up something precious now? That's what you you can talk the game all we want, but are you living for Jesus now? He wants you to change. 
Are you living this way now? Are you giving away your money, your possessions, your fleshly lifestyle, the worldly dreams you have, the thoughts that do not mark a child of God? Do you even hate those things if they come against you and God? Are you truly living like a child of God now amongst children of God? Are you part of a local church which has other children of God in it to live this life with you? Do you actually love the church? Because you got to love the children of God, not just the You are a child of God amongst children of God. Don't chase fame or glory. Or if you're lazy, don't just chase comfort and laziness like Judas did. Respond in true belief and worship like Mary. Remember our last culminating point today, taught that the resurrection causes service to God as children of God. The resurrection should not just cause us to pretend we are on Team Jesus like Judas did. The resurrection of Jesus gives you the right to actually be on Team Jesus and to actually serve Jesus and and love and serve other people, specifically the church of God. That's what most Christians miss. Remember last week in in John uh, 13, 33-35, it said, Little children, again, yet a little while Jesus says, I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Talking about the church, you are also to love one another. He says, listen to this, by this, by your love for the church or one another, not other people, not random people, the children of God. By your love for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By your love for the church. How many people just don't love the church of God? Because if you really love God, you love his bride. The church is called the bride of Christ. He says, if you have love for one another, the world is going to see that you actually love God. Not just this American love that's like, yeah, I love Jesus. And, you know, I I go to church. I kind of keep my Christianity here. And, yeah, that's not what God is looking for. Do you love the people of God? You see, resurrection should produce true service to God. True service to God includes serving God's children, the church. So my challenge and encouragement today, I'm going a little long, but it is how are you serving God's children as a child of God? How are you serving God's children as a child of God? Well, as a church, we need you to serve. If you're part of our church, we need you to serve each other. Serving isn't just doing stuff on Sunday. It's like loving each other. It's knowing each other, having each other's phone numbers, saying, hey, man, my car broke down. Hey, can you come? Hey, you want to grab some lunch today or grab some food? That's what it means to love one another. That's what God is looking for. This church won't grow uh, uh, in real discipleship, in real love if we don't do that. Many churches grow because they just put on a service. I'm not interested in that. I can move somewhere and plant a church and we can do a service real fast and have a bunch of people. There's a lot of easy stuff to do to have a service. We are planting a church where you guys would really, from different people groups and from different places, actually love each other. They say the Apostle John who wrote this at the end of his life would be taken up because he couldn't walk. And this is not in the Bible, but he would, and, and John would just preach, love one another, love one another. That was his only message. Old man John, that's what he had to say, love one another. He was telling them. This is how you serve God. The Bible calls us to be partners. The, the Bible, there's an there's a idea we call ourselves in, at Redeemer, covenant partners. Because we believe this is representative of the commitment in the Bible that people who covenant or promise together in true partnership can have this gospel relationship. So we say that true gospel partnership or this service to one another in the church is active partnership in the gospel. It's a close relationship of mutual benefit, promoting the gospel through cooperation 
through sympathy, suffering, financial giving, active labor, prayer, and love. This is how you should serve God in his church. This is what the resurrection does. It gives life to individuals who become children of God, who, who serve the children of God because they love God's bride, his church. The resurrection allows you to love and serve God, to understand and live out the gospel as we love God, love people, and make disciples of all nations for God's glory. So remember today, we learned the resurrection causes unbelief and evil acts, and may, not that, may that not be us. May it cause the resurrection of Jesus, cause belief and service to Jesus as children of God. Let's pray. Thank you.